Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth. And we've arrived at another B-Side episode. Before we get into that, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to pick our favorite rating of the month on Apple Podcasts in our next episode. And that person's going to win a free Niche Legend dad hat. So we're looking at all of your reviews. Thank you so much to everyone that continues to do that. We really appreciate it. Follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod and me at DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V. And... Check out our merch in the Pop Pantheon merch store at poppantheonpod.com. In the store, there's, as I mentioned, the Niche Legend Dad Hat. There is the Mirror Superstar t-shirt. Great gifts for the pop fan in your life or for the Mirror Superstar or Niche Legend in your life. These things can work on numerous levels, guys. So check out our merch. And join our Patreon, Pop Pantheon All Access, where for $5 a month, you're getting at least one bonus episode of the show per month, access to our Discord, access to the guest list at my pop party, gorgeous, gorgeous, input on future episodes, and as a special treat, just this last weekend, we published our latest Pop Pantheon All Access episode, and it's one of my favorites we've done yet. It is a deep dive into my favorite pop star, Janet Jackson's album, The Velvet Rope, my favorite album of hers, with... Pop Pantheon fave Rich Jezwiak. It's really got all the elements of a great Pop Pantheon episode in the mix there, and it came out so well. We talk about literally all of the songs on the record, all of the different themes, the way it deals with introspection, the timeless sound and innovative production from Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, to how it was positioned in Jazz's career, how its legacy has evolved over time. It was such a great conversation. And as a little treat, at the end of this episode, I'm going to be including a clip from our episode on the Velvet Rope from our Patreon at the end of the episode. So stay tuned once the song plays at the end and you can listen to a little preview of that. And if you like it, go to patreon.com slash poppantheon and sign up at the icon tier to get access to all of our bonus content. Or you can click the link in the show notes of this episode, which will also lead you to the same place. So looking forward to seeing you guys over on Pop Pantheon All Access. This episode is one, admittedly, that we were trying to get out by the end of the year, but we got kind of bogged down by Madonna stuff. So it's coming out a little bit later than expected, but it's a very important episode of the show, which is something I'm going to return to periodically, which is a reassessment of our ranking. So we did this back in April 22, up through, I think, the Christina episode. I'm not quite sure exactly where it left off, but we looked back at the rankings. We kind of took into assessment anything that's changed in pop stars' careers since we did the episodes on them, whether my feelings have evolved out of the heat of the moment, just sort of see where we're at with the rankings. So we did that again, only this time we solicited calls from our listeners to dispute rankings that they feel I got wrong on the show. So we pick up here with Kesha's episode because I have something to say about that. And we move through all of the episodes through Katie's at the end of 22. Madonna, obviously, we had already ranked prior in tier one. I don't think anybody is going to really be disputing me on that one. So this is an episode where Russ, obviously everyone's favorite pop pantheon gay schemer slash jack of all trades who helps me with the show on every single possible level. And I just go through all of the rankings. Some of them have disputes from you guys. Some of them are things I just want to reassess and talk about. It was really fun to get to look back and have this conversation. So, oh, and obviously if you are new to the show, I know we have a fuckload of new listeners right now. And you don't want the Pop Pantheon ranking spoiled for episodes you have not listened to. I would recommend not listening to the rest of this episode until you have done so. If you care about that sort of thing. I personally don't think it devalues the episodes to listen to them knowing the ranking. But if that's something that means something to you, if you wait till the end of the episode as some sort of practice to know where these pop stars stand, 
don't listen to this episode yet unless you've listened to the back catalog. Okay, so here is our annual-ish reassessment of the last series of Pop Pantheon rankings. All right, so I am here with my rock, (laughs) the person that keeps Pop Pantheon running every week. It's Pop Pantheon gatekeeper himself, Russ Martin. Russ, lovely to be with you as always. Hi, Louie. Hi, Russ. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. I'm happy to be here with you again. I'm always happy to be with you, Russ, anytime. It has been quite some time since I have asked you to reassess the rankings that you have made. Yes. So we have only done Madonna in January of 2023. So I think that this is a good opportunity to look back at 2022 and all of the artists that we put into the Pop Pantheon. I have also invited the listeners to call in and let us know what they think. I want to see if you have had any changes of heart now that you have had time to sit with some of your rankings. Okay, great. I just want to say something off the bat. I'm glad that we're doing this. I mean, I know we touched on this kind of episode briefly back in April, I think, but I want to make this a yearly tradition because I think what's cool about this year was obviously it was a huge year for the show. We grew, I don't know, something like 800 in our listenership. And I think all of these rankings really helped flesh out the Pantheon ideas. Like I think thinking back on a lot of these, having to make decisions in the moment, especially on stars that like don't necessarily fit super easily into the basic criteria has helped set precedence in the uh, Pantheon that I think will be things that we return to, much like the Supreme Court when they set a precedent. We will be returning to as precedent in the future. So I think it's fun for us to get to reflect on these. And of course, as I think maybe some listeners know, there's at least one ranking in here that I am intending to amend from my previous decision, not appeal from myself. I'm appealing. <laughs> I don't know how the court system works in other situations, but in this court system, I'm allowed to both appeal and then render a new judgment all on my own accord, basically. Yes. And, you know, over time, our opinions change. This happens mm-hmm. a lot with pop albums that are flops that then become cult classics. Yeah. Today, I want to see if you've had any changes of heart And Mm -hmm. I also have invited our listeners to let us know what they think. And a few of them have bravely stepped up to the plate and sent in voice notes. And they are letting us know that they think that you, Louis, are wrong. Are you excited to hear what they have to say? Are you nervous that they're going to take you to task? I'm not fucking nervous. They don't scare me. I feel very (laughs) confident in my ability to make these decisions. And the only person I'm scared of is me because I think that because no one can compete with me except me. No, I do think sometimes I get a little bit carried away in the making of the episodes, like especially when we're recording, because you have to understand, like once we sit down to record these things, I have spent an exorbitant amount of time thinking about and processing these artists. And I usually have fallen in some form of love with them. Like I have gone through some sort of like deeply spiritual journey into the center of their like artistry and career. And I feel like I understand them on this new level. So sometimes when I get to that Pantheon ranking, not to mention that I'm often talking to somebody that 
that feels really passionate about them. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I can sometimes get a little bit clouded on their side in terms of their ranking. So one thing that I'm going to be interested in in this conversation is like how, if I feel that way with the power of hindsight and that, you know, when I'm not under the spell per se, <laughs> whether I have a more rational take that maybe I didn't have in the heat of the moment. Okay. Uh, I have also done a little bit of research to see what the artists that have been placed into the Pantheon have been up to since their episode went live. See if there's maybe anything that might influence how they have been maybe stepping up or stepping down in the Pantheon. Mm -hmm. Some of these artists are still definitely very new in their careers. And I think that the listeners also might just like to hear what you think lays ahead based on what they have been up to. Does that sound good? Yes. Okay, let's go all the way back to that first- I love an episode that I do not have to do any preparation for, which is like, (laughs) this is the only one of the year. I literally woke up this morning and I was like, ah, yes. Like, I'm just going to show up here. I don't have to think about anything in advance. I'm just going to sit here and- spout off. Oh, I also, Ross, wanted to make sure that we told everybody. So we did an episode like this already back in April 2022. So that episode covered reassessing rankings from the beginning of Pop Pantheon through the ABBA episode. We're going to pick this one up a couple episodes back from that because I have something that I want to say about Kesha. So we're picking this up with our Kesha episode from spring of 2022 through the present day. If you want to hear us reassess rankings from episodes before that, there's another episode that does that that I'll link in the show notes of this episode. But we're going to pick up here with Kesha's episode from March 2022 and then move through the rest of them but i just wanted to put that out there okay let's go let's get let's get going all right tiktok it is time for miss kesha so this is a controversial re-adjudication walk me Mm -hmm. through why you are thinking that kesha may need an adjustment i feel like in the moment when first of all i i think there's it's important for me And this is another thing that I've picked up over the course of this year to be aware of my own temporal biases in the sense that Kesha is obviously like right in my sweet spot era of pop stars. Like I was in my early 20s during her peak years. And thus, I think I have a bit of a warped perception. One thing that's interesting for me is like whether I've lived through it or whether I'm like attempting to get a sense of the peak era from a distance and like from what people are saying about it or how I think about it in retrospect or like how other people that did live through it or have a better sense of it contextualize it for me. So I'm constantly running across that because I'm only, you know, I'm 30, I'm I'm only 35 years old. There's many artists we talk about that I certainly was not like cognizant for their peak era. So it can be helpful to have lived through it. But I think in the instance of Kesha, perhaps it can be a little bit distorting. And also Kat, our guest on the episode had written such a beautiful piece review, I guess, about Animal that like really, I think will go down because it, helped deepen its meaning, I guess is a better way of saying it. I think it's one of those retrospective reviews that people will look at a lot moving forward because it hooks something that I think culturally many people pegged as like vapid and stupid and like gave it a much more expanded scope and helped place it at a moment in like global history in this way that made it seem much more important than it maybe seemed upon its release. So all of which is to say we ranked her in tier three, but I've real this one has 
really bothered me since that. And I think that she belongs in tier four. I think it's really about animal. I think that's what I've kind of come to realize is like, it's really about animal. Like that is what Kesha's whole career is contained to that one album, maybe to the cannibal sort of addendum EP. And then she had Die Young, which was sort of running on fumes off of that imperial moment of the early album. And I just think that as much as I sort of like like Rainbow and found it interesting, and as much as obviously the saga of her court case with Dr. Luke has kept her germane to broader pop cultural conversations, I think as a pop star, I don't think that she belongs in tier three because I think that her actual run of pop star relevance was like two or three years all said and done. I have a little bit of supporting evidence in terms of what she has been up to in the past year. The biggest things that I could find was that she provided vocals for a song called Tastes So Good that was used to promote a cannabis infused (laughs) drink. I mean, she was playing cruise ships six years into her career. You know what I mean? Uh, She had starred in and produced a TV show on Discovery Plus called Conjuring Kesha, in which she explores paranormal hotspots, playing off the fumes of her fucking a ghost about 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could certainly see Kesha finding other interesting ways to be a celebrity, And I think I could continue to see her making music that I like, but Mm -hmm. I don't feel like what she achieved as a pop star merits something beyond tier four. So do I need to get the gavel out? That's one thing that I... We need to have a cinematic moment. Just like in every good romantic comedy during the wedding scene, you have a priest standing up there and saying, speak now or forever hold your peace. And I do have a call in that we're going to have to listen to. Okay, I'm ready. Fair warning, it's five minutes. Hey, DJ Louie and Russ, Ethan here. Big fan of the pod, frequent flyer in the Discord, and frequent Kesha enjoyer. And we need to have a serious conversation immediately about the possible demotion of the Queen of Sleaze herself, Kesha, formerly known as Kesha, with a dollar sign, to tier four of the Pantheon. Clearly your hot pants have not been on and up because Kesha did not save us from the 2008 recession for you to call her a one album wonder or a blue collar pop star and throw her in tier four next to Selena Gomez. I understand the argument from a commercial perspective that she might be more on the top end of tier four because most of her success was on Animal and Cannibal. Uh, Although she did have hits later on, as we know. But that era was so huge, and Tier 3A superstars of yore, a key requirement is that they defined or helped define a very specific pop moment, era, or year. And if you want to talk about the post-recession boom of pop music, the kind that did everything in its power to convince people that the best thing that they could do is just go out and get plastered in a club and spend all of their rent money on, like, Apple Ciroc... Kesha and Pitbull are the reigning queen and king of that genre, bar none. That trashy, sleazy music, that is Kesha down. And that was a, dominated the radio. That sound and that lyrical content dominated the radio for five, six, seven years. That's like the better part of a decade. If you asked someone as like a joke or a party trick to write a fake Kesha song, 
I think that most people, even people that aren't really huge pop fans, would be able to throw together something because there is such a distinct vocal tone and lyrical co- like uh, content in her music that uh, it would be really easy to make a fake Kesha song. Like, the, the music is that iconic. I also think if you ask somebody to dress up like Kesha or describe what Kesha would dress like, that is something that almost everybody... I think has at least somewhat of an idea of, and that's aesthetic still is associated with her to that day. The ripped tights, the glitter, the animal print, like all of that is so Kesha and it still is. And I think that that really means that she is a superstar of yours. She's not some working class pop star. It's like, what does Selena Gomez dress like? What does Shawn Mendes dress like? Write a Shawn Mendes song for me. I, what does that even sound like? I like, but write a Kesha song for me. Dress up like Kesha. Oh, easy. Also, I think in the realm of cultural impact, I think everything that she went through and and chose to make very public, which is a very difficult thing to do, but everything that she went through with Dr. Luke, I think, was instrumental in galvanizing the public to be more involved and interested in the way that pop stars are treated, the way that women are treated in the music industry. And I think that that actually planted a lot of the seeds for the public side of the Free Britney movement later. And I think that she actually put in a lot of work in that field that I don't know if she entirely gets her flowers for as much, but that is a huge part of the pop music conversation of the last 10 years is kind of finding that retribution for the way that we actually were treating our female pop stars. Also, I think all of her early music is actually bolstered by the content of her newer stuff, specifically Rainbow. Rainbow is definitely a much more mature album, and there's a lot of beautiful tracks on that, but she doesn't dismiss all of her early music as the frivolous party phase of a young pop star. Instead, she kind of really doubles down on all of that and expands it into a statement on her spirituality. Like, the content of Rainbow builds upon that indie sleaze aesthetic and makes it into a moral code, which I think is a really smart and cool thing to do. I think that Anybody who was young during her commercial peak can rattle off the names of probably four or five Kesha songs, the choruses of of that many as well. And that's also a key requirement of Tier 3A. Lastly, although I don't know if she could pull off a Vegas residency, say, or a super successful arena tour, she did pull off a cruise. And... Kesha's Weird and Wonderful Rainbow Ride was basically a Vegas residency, but it was on a boat. And I think that should count for something. So where do we go from here? I think there's a very simple solution. Every time that you consider demoting Kesha, the queen, to tier four, you could instead consider zipping your lips like a padlock and meeting her in the back of the jack <laughs> in the jukebox. Some food for thought. I That was like... Maybe Ethan should host the show. 
<laughs> that was a fantastic call. It really was. Thank you so God. much, Louis. What a well-reasoned little argument there. Yeah, take a breath so and respond. Friends. I, while I appreciate what Ethan said, and it is some food for thought, I do. The most interesting element of what he said, I think, is that she's so easily identifiable in her aesthetics in both a musical and visual sense. Like, I, I think that is accurate and perhaps worth thinking about. I think in terms of like what he said about her first moment being so huge, it was big. But again, with the power of having lived through it, she always felt secondary to Gaga, Katie, and Rihanna. Even as she was tossing those hits off, it didn't quite feel like she was in that echelon with those girlies. I mean, you were there, Russ. You remember that? Do you agree with me? I do have to point out, though, that TikTok blocked Bad Romance from number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The song was huge, but I'm saying it, she felt on mass. Yes, she yeah, felt she, lower. She, she, she felt like a different rung from those three. I right? do also think that a lot of the things that Ethan is saying about her iconography and aesthetic are deeply relevant to a certain age bracket of people, but I think that if you asked a 23-year-old pop fan to write a Kesha lyric, they would right, say, who's right. Kesha? Right. And I think the idea that she's in the same tier as Katie feels wrong to me. I mean, I just don't see that. It's like, you know, <laughs> far be it for me to be the person that's like sticking my neck out for Katy Perry. But like, there's no question to me that like, if Katy Perry is the emblematic tier three artist, and we have now officially sanctioned that, I just don't see her having the same, like, thing it's it, it and we have to remember this is about pop music it's like yes as a pop cultural figure kesha has maintained relevance through the attention that she's brought to sexual assault imbalanced power dynamics in these you know female music business situations all of that stuff i have the utmost undying respect for her and i think her career suffered quite a bit as a result of her doing that and that is admirable and i respect her and as i said i really liked rainbow and think and i agree with ethan's passionate defense of what it was doing on an artistic level but mm. the pantheon is not about whether i liked rainbow or whether rainbow has redemptive artistic qualities to it because it definitely does and like was a real surprise and expansion on like what we thought kesha was and what she could do and was effective in doing so which is not easy to do so respect to that rainbow was not a very successful commercial prospect for kesha so it was fine and i think you know praying did i because there was interest in the case so that did in some level translate to the pop cultural narrative feeding into some form of musical success but again peeking at number 22 on the hot 100 i don't know how many people who are not super in the pop world really remember that moment i'm sticking with what i said i think kesha belongs in tier four i mean Look no further than the Katy Perry thing. I mean, I really just think that sort of says it all to me. All right. That is the first time that we have ever moved a pop star. And let's insert a sound of a gavel. There she goes. Yes. All right. One of my favorite episodes of the year, April Fool's Day Spectacular, Normani placed in tier five. Do I have to say anything about this? If anything, she's been less visible and less productive since we made the episode, so. Uh, she was featured on a Calvin Harris song with no. Tanasha no. and Offset. No. She yes, was no, exactly, with another flop, no. She was in a Chris Brown video. Uh, and otherwise was basically a fashion influencer. Um, tier five, if that, okay, next thing. <laughs> Christina Aguilera, tier three. Correct, and also I think another great example of why Kesha is not in tier three. Like, yes, there's no comparing the impact and legacy of Christina Aguilera and Kesha's like, sorry. And, and Christina Aguilera, again, it also has to do with like the power at their peak. Like maybe it's like, look, Christina Aguilera and Katy Perry both had two to three really big albums. Kesha had one. Christina 
and Katie were in the premier echelon of pop star in their moment. Kesha was not. Mm -hmm. All right. People could write an LMFAO song. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. Uh, Christina, actually, it was an interesting year for Pop Pantheon to do an episode about Christina because it was the 20th anniversary of Stripped. She released a special 20th anniversary edition. She also released a 2022 version of her beautiful video, which was very iconic in its day. Christina had a, like, commercially low year, but a critically quite strong year she released a mm-hmm. spanish language album called aguilera to mm-hmm. positive reviews and she mm-hmm. won best traditional vocal album at the latin grammys so she's sort of transitioning into a different type of later career artist that i think is yeah. respectable yeah i think she's in tier three i don't see much that would change that let's move on to something that is quite controversial i think that we should probably start off with the calls that we received okay this is a heavily debated one Hi, Louie. My name is Olivia, and I'm calling from Canada to implore you to revisit your ranking for ABBA. You rank them in tier two. Oh, if you hear those noises, that's my newborn daughter. Um, uh, You put them in tier two, they belong in tier one. They have, their body of work has the impact, the um, quantity, the quality, and the longevity of relevance to justify that higher ranking. Whether you're looking at it from a Eurocentric perspective or a North American-centric perspective. I'm in North America. Just last night, I was at a rock concert for um, a band that's very popular here in Canada called the Arkells. It's very much a millennial crowd. And so, you know, people who were not alive (laughs) when, you know, ABBA was having its heyday. And their first encore was a mashup of Gimme 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 and Hung Up by Madonna. And when that chorus hit... The crowd lost it, screaming the lyrics, jumping up and down. And gimme, 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 it's like it's not Dancing Queen, right? So you're, you're talking about depth, relevance, longevity, quality, quantity. You have all uh, the criteria to justify. And that little added je ne sais quoi. You have all the criteria. Revisit it. Um, ABBA for tier one. Thanks. So that was a call featuring the youngest Pop Pantheon listener, the newborn child of the caller. Thank you so much for (laughs) that call from Olivia. I have a second ABBA call. Are you ready, Louis? Yeah. Hi, Louis. Hi, Ross. Hi, Pop Pantheon. I'm Bronwyn. I'm calling from Dublin in Ireland. And I think Louis might be wrong about ABBA. Um. This is a difficult one to explain, so bear with me, or certainly it's going to take me a minute. Um, I know that ABBA got icon tier internationally, and I am grateful, and I think that is wholly correct. However, I'm wondering, is that split rating system, so assessing an act in the US and assessing an act internationally slash you know, in Europe or whatever jurisdiction is most relevant. Is that something that you are going to be adopting going forward? Or is it only something you will use where the discrepancy is quite obvious? Um, I'm just thinking down the line to artists such as Janet Jackson and Mariah Carey, who are huge icons, like culturally as well as musically, but didn't like tear up the charts in Ireland and the UK the same way they did in the US. 
Um, and I know you're coming at it from a US standpoint. That absolutely makes sense. But um, there's a huge difference for some acts, I think, that would maybe surprise you because certainly there are some acts the other way around that surprised me. I don't know if you've ever heard of Westlife. They were my favourite boy band when I was growing up and I was so surprised to learn that they didn't really ever make it in the States um, because they were the biggest thing in the world to me. Um, so just wondering how you're going to be assessing that going forward because I think it's a really interesting um, sort of cultural uh, hallmark of different acts. So yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much. Okay, so we have two calls. One is questioning the international split and the other is making the case that in fact ABBA is tier one everywhere on God's green earth. I think that to take the like broader question first, you know, obviously we have come across this again and again with the international thing and with people with the accusations of American bias or whatever. I think the way I'm thinking about it is ever changing. I think we are talking about like a certain canon. I mean, for instance, I'm unable to speak about K-pop canon. I can only speak about K-pop acts as they relate to our myopic Western canon. Like I, cause I just, that would not be my podcast. Like I wouldn't be able to do that effectively. So there is obviously going to be a perspective here that is editorial in terms of my biases. Like, I I don't quite know how to address that in a way that feels, like, good to everybody. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but, like, because it's one thing for me, for you to say, like, yeah, take into account the UK and who's big in the UK, but, like, we could start doing that with, like, what about Colombia? What about Africa? What about, you know, there's all of these pop markets where artists are huge, and that is just not my providence. Like, I don't know how to contextualize all that. It's just not my area of expertise. My area of expertise is looking at the sort of Western pop canon through my American lens. So I don't know if that's a satisfying answer on all of that, but like, I'm not quite sure how to like address this all in a way that like makes everybody feel good. So when it comes to ABBA in particular, I stand by what I said, because I think that it's, first of all, being in tier two is a perfectly reasonable place for an act that is extremely exciting to people to this day. I mean, we're, we've put artists in tier two that are going to be enduring acts whose songs live on that people are obsessed with. The truth of the matter is, and this was affirmed to me by Tom Ewing on our recent episode about Imperial phases, is that ABBA was not nearly as huge here during their peak years as they were elsewhere. They just weren't. They had a handful of top 10 hits, one number one, and a lot of their Success here has been in the wake of Mamma Mia and the musical mm -hmm. and perhaps Ava Gold secondarily. So it's been a retroactive thing, which makes them interesting and unique that they would be having most of their success not during their actual peak of their like music making that's unique and makes for a challenging assessment. But I stand by what I said. I just, in the American pop canon, I don't quite see them being in tier one. Do you see them at least to throw a bone at the tippy top of tier two? Yeah, I, I take that. I mean, I definitely understand that like they're the platonic ideal of pop music for a lot of people. And like yes. that feels valuable to me. In fact, I think that elevates them from something lower than tier three, like is that they are so much 
what we think of as the best iteration of pure pop music. I don't know. I feel badly about my limit, the limitations of my abilities to assess this canon, I guess. And I don't quite know how to like confront that in a holistic way. Besides saying what I've been saying, which is that like when it feels germane, it's important to note when I can and when that is something that I'm aware of that like there is a difference in canon here. And I think the Imperial Phases episode was also interesting in the sense that Tom also pointed out that like the Pet Shop Boys had an Imperial Phase in the UK, but not elsewhere. Like, mm. so there is discrepancies in this way. Yeah. And I think as we continue with the B-sides, especially to expand and confront ideas of Pantheon and canon, that we will continue to broach this question and probably in like new and exciting ways, maybe even with new and exciting voices in the mix. And uh, yeah, I love it. Abba is such an interesting example of someone who, not to get too morbid, but they're experiencing over the past few years a type of legacy reassessment that often happens when pop stars die. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I think that's that's a good point. This past year, they publicly reunited for the first time in 40 years. That happened just one month after our episode. They also launched Voyage, which is a virtual concert experience in a custom-built arena in London that people from around the globe are traveling to see this quite unique, literally never been done before type of concert experience. They're also up for four Grammys, including Album of the Year and Record of the Year, despite the fact that their reunion album wasn't the biggest thing in the world, nor the best received, but they are meaning new things to new people and are being challenged. Their place in the canon of popular music is being reassessed and challenged very late into their career, which is incredibly unique for a pop act. What do you think about the ranking? I'm international as well. Mm -hmm. I really see the argument for tier one for ABBA. Mm -hmm. I think that you cannot tell the story of pop music without ABBA. And I think that their influence and their je ne sais quoi is so, so powerful. And that they have moved up in the pantheon of pop music over the course of the past decade through legacy enforcing projects. And that is difficult to assess because it is in fact so rare. Yeah. So you think they should be in tier one? I, I Listen, I understand the argument for tier two, but if it was me and the Pantheon was up to me, I was hitting the gavel, I think that I would put app in tier one. All right, put a pin in it. Let's come back to it at the end of the episode. All right, fantastic. The next up, we have Billie Eilish in the very crowded tier three. Yeah, that's... Yes. Yes. We'll see what happens next. She's got potential. She's got a lot of potential. This year she released two songs. She's been doing typical pop star stuff, touring, fragrances, Gucci campaigns. Do you see space for Billy to step up without a monoculture to play in? Is Billy sort mm. of the biggest that a star can get now? Or can she recreate something that we have seen in the past in terms of just how big a star can get? I think that's a really interesting question. And I think it's, I can see two, one of two things. One is, or the two layers to this. One is, is her next move a more commercial pivot or a more avant pivot? Like mm -hmm. I think happier than ever was for instance, like moving in the more like avant direction. And I wonder how her career will like snake in that particular way. I could kind of see both things. And I also think she raises questions as one of the most important big pop stars of the moment and yet feeling kind of idiosyncratic and niche at the same time about how we're going to have to evolve in our perceptions and like clocking of 
success. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm. it, she, she presents an interesting conundrum in this way. Got a lot of like challenging artists actually this year to like the basic fundamentals of this pantheon, but I'm not sure. Mm. All I know is that she feels huge and important to me yes. and like, a, like kind of generational and mm. someone that's going to be with us and someone that we care and talk a lot about for a while. So yeah. does she get to the upper tiers of the Pantheon potentially because she hits more traditional pathways to that? Or does she help be part of a wave of artists that are maybe remaking what pop stardom looks like in a lesser monoculture? Mm -hmm. We shall see. She's one of my hobby horses of the new generation. Like I'm on that train. I'm on the belly bus, like 150%. Another tier three from a different era of pop Shania Twain. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, I think Shania Twain is like instructive even in the ABBA conversation. It's like, yes, man, I feel like a woman is a song that like people are going to recognize and be able to sing for generations to come in a similar way to like Dancing Queen or any of those songs. But like that doesn't make her tier one. You know what I mean? I mean like that on in and of itself like many artists in lower tiers have like long tail songs and impacts in weird ways and like comebacks in weird ways like a kate bush this year so yes she's tier three she received an icon award from the people's choice awards released a netflix doc and has an album coming out in february queen of me shania twain well, fans look queen forward. of me a niche legend edition the first niche legend of 2022 was the scissor sisters yeah that was one of my favorite episodes Episodes of the year, actually, I really enjoyed the opportunity to get to expose people that had not been aware of them, especially in the United States. I mean, another, I guess, international, national terror artist and an artist that I hope people listen to this podcast and like got exposed and got interested because it was great to get to do that. And Scissor Sisters have been broken up for a long time, but front man Jake Shears has done a smattering of live gigs this year. He did Kinky Boots at the Hollywood Bowl. He continues to both have abs and hang out with Amanda Lepore. <laughs> uh, he's so he, hot. I have such He's incredibly hot. He recently yeah. wrote a musical about Tammy Faye with Elton John. Did you know that? No. Oh, that's funny. He has a lot of like really big pop star friends. Like he's like BFFs with Kylie. He's BFFs mm -hmm. with Elton. He's like, they, he's got a lot of respect from those top tier artists. A picture just dropped that included both him and Elton at dinner with Dua Lipa. I think that he could make that. some really cool music <laughs> with her. Did you see the tweet that was like the picture of Dua Lipa and Elton John and Elton John's husband and Jake Shears and like all of these powerful gays? And it said something like, didn't Dua Lipa watch the White Lotus and what happened to Tanya? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All right, so moving funny. onwards to tier three artist Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson, like, is a good example of someone that upped her pop cultural standing, mm. like, pretty significantly in the last few years, thanks to the talk show and to Kelly Oki. But, like, as a pop figure, I don't feel like has a ton of currency with her, like, original music right now and hasn't for a while. I mean, do you agree? I kind of feel that's my vibe on it. Yes, I totally agree. She does have a studio album that is set to come out in 2023. But all of the stuff that Kelly has been up to has been only like music adjacent. Yeah. She did an EP of Kelly Oki songs. Right. But it's really the show that's carrying her forward. The Kelly Clarkson show is averaging 1.3 million viewers. It just got renewed through 2025. She received yeah. a star on the Walk of Fame this year. She's set to return to The Voice. Kelly takes up a lot of space in pop culture, yeah. but she doesn't yeah, take up very reason. much for space in reason. pop music. Yeah. I think like Kelly is such a lovable 
figure. And I'm so happy that she's like found this like kind of new way to be super relevant. And like, I think that that's deserved and amazing. And like, I am so thrilled for her success. And I just think that tier three is where she belongs as a pop figure as in terms of just being a brass tacks pop star. Yeah. A episode slightly outside of our usual Duran Duran also in tier three. Yeah. Seems right to me. Mm-hmm. I'd say this was the episode of the year that I went in the least knowing anything. I really went into this one more or less blind, aside from like knowing maybe a handful of songs. So that was a really fascinating experience. Thank God we had Annie in the mix there, who was the opposite and like lives and breathes Duran Duran to help educate me and the girls about this group. It was really interesting, I thought. Interesting episode. That's my assessment of it. I'd say of all the rankings of the year, this one feels like the one I have like the least like facile grip on. But Mm. like that feels right to me. And I haven't heard many complaints, which is unique. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for as few people had the courage to send in voice notes for this episode, like you all sure love to spout off at me in every other possible way all the time. So (laughs) oh, another group in the third tier, Destiny's Child, which kicked off our Beyonce Super Series. Yes. Tier three. I learned from going back and listening that I am much more emotionally nostalgic for and tied to the music of Destiny's Child than I am to the music of Beyonce. Destiny's Child really, really, really matters to me as a millennial. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a universally shared sentiment. I'd say they mean something in different ways. It's like Destiny's Child's music defined my youth in so many memorable moments, but like in a kind of like lighter way, like Mm. in a campier, lighter way, whereas like Beyonce's music, I guess, especially framed through like the prowess and ambition of her later period work, like all feels like more important, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Without a doubt. Uh, but more important to me, it's just Destiny's Child. I have this vision for what I would call like the Carter's Fest or something like that, which would be like a version of a tour that was like Beyonce, Jay-Z and Extended Universe. And it's mm. like a day long festival. And it's like them headlining like in their way. And then like Solange and Destiny's Child and perhaps like, you know, some of the rappers that have come up under Jay-Z. I mean, in one world that would have been Kanye West, but like obviously no more and kelly michelle solo (laughs) when jesus say yes nobody can say no like just kind of like a traveling stadium fest the carter fest or whatever i think that could be a really cool idea i someone get me to parkwood get me the line to parkwood so i can make some suggestions ovo eat your heart exactly Of course, we culminated the series with putting Beyonce in tier one. Feels undebatable. Mm -hmm. We have spoken also a lot on this podcast about Renaissance since its debut. What's the over under on whether we're getting visuals? I think there's a large chance that visuals are coming, but I do think that this was not the plan. I My speculative analysis based on just a vibe I have in the ether about the whole thing is that there are and this is totally alleged and totally just me having a fanfic moment, but I do think something went awry. She wasn't happy somehow. And like, this was not the plan. That is my feeling. I cannot imagine that this was the plan. If this was the plan, it makes no sense strategically. I agree. And Beyonce's decisions typically make sense. Except that Black is King had a similarly like befuddling year lag from the visuals. And I don't think that was the plan either. 
I don't either. And yeah. I think it really did not serve the project. Correct. And I think the same is happening here, yeah. unfortunately. All right, moving on. This is also a tier three artist. I am curious at this point, we've talked about a bunch of tier threes. It's definitely where the most artists have been placed. Is there something about the third tier that is a bit of a ceiling that is really difficult to crack as a pop star? Yes, I think that's become very clear mm -hmm. as this podcast has continued to be made. It's like, if you have a moment of massive breakthrough success, big moment, it seems like you can ride that success if you play your cards right with some degree of ease. Not ease. I mean, I don't think any sustained pop career is easy, even one album to the next. But I think you there's a path forward that's at least more obvious to have than another couple of albums and another five, seven, eight years where you can essentially do the same thing on some level. And like, if you do it well and play your cards right, you can have success. And then there's something that happens after that period, after those first few albums, after that first decade or a little less than a decade, where what is required to stay interesting just due to like generational turnover and aging out, I guess, is much more difficult. Like whatever is required after that eight years or after that three albums is somehow a more difficult thing to crack. And that's why a lot of artists feel like they end up here at the ceiling. So yeah, the answer is yes, I think so. Now this is an artist who cracked one ceiling, the Disney girl box, only yeah. to find another, uh, the, the tier three. It is Miley Cyrus. Yeah, I mean, Miley doesn't quite fit what I just said exactly because it's like she's had a very long period of relevance, but it's just that, and it's funny because and a lot of her relevance has to do with her being a pop star. It's not like Selena or Kesha, even as we were talking about earlier, where it's like, or Kelly, where it's like they're relevant still, but it's like in ways that don't feel like related to being a pop star. Miley somehow always feels like she's a pop star and like that's the main thing. And frankly, until the last couple of weeks or whatever, I would have said that... Her music hasn't been particularly successful in a really long time, but now everything feels completely different because she's released this song, Flowers, that is like the biggest song of the year, the biggest song in a long time, debuted at number one this week. I mean, it's huge. I can buy myself flowers. I mean, I frankly don't know that I could have seen her going higher in the Pantheon, but now I think really I'm rethinking everything about it. We put her in tier three. I think if she launches a hugely successful album that has this hit and other hits on it, and that like enters a new phase of Miley's career where she's like a relevant pop artist making chart-topping singles... I don't know. I see her on an upward trajectory again. Everything really, really feels different right now for her. So I'm sticking with her being in tier three for now, but I think she's really up to the chances that she ends up in possibly in tier two in a way that I like really would not have seen before. So kudos to Miley. I'm, I'm surprised. Even though like Flowers isn't my favorite song, I am super surprised at how successful it is. And kudos to her. I mean, incredible. Right. Tier two. It's Usher, baby. 
This was one that I uh, came in with other ideas about what was convinced by Rawia to change my thoughts. I, I kind of thought Usher was going to end up in tier three, but feel pretty good about where we put him. Like, I think that, I mean, again, I want to like have some cognizance of my generational biases. Usher was obviously like lining up directly with my childhood through early adulthood. So like, I want to have that in check, but I was really sold on the idea of Usher having had 15 years of success more mm-hmm. or less like as a relevant pop star which is something that puts most artists who are beyond tier 3 beyond tier 3 mm. so yeah I think so. I think Usher is a pretty big force with like a huge legacy discography that's like expands through multiple eras and phases of pop music that like is impressive when looking back at it. What do you think? I am, we're a very similar age. So I remember Usher being very big. Usher feels instinctively more similar to the artists that we have talked about at least this year who are in tier three than tier two mm. to me personally but Rabia a Rabia is always an incredible guest and a bright mm-hmm. mind and made such a great argument and I think that like the fun part of this is that it's the debate right and yeah, when yeah. we have people on who really bring an incredible argument. That's mm-hmm. part of the special sauce of the podcast as well. And I think that Usher had a really good lawyer in this case. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's cuspy three to two, but I'm comfortable with him being in tier two. Yeah. I think like, you know, I often talk about the years of centrist relevance and it's like, he did have that. He was making hit music from like 1997 through like 2012, 13, 14. Like the numbers in this case do not lie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? An interesting next episode because it is also tier two and an interesting point of comparison is Donna Summer. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of connective tissue in terms of the pantheon between Donna and Abba Mm. in the sense that they both had pretty short runs of really seismic success that like defined a really specific moment in pop music and like don't meet a ton of the criteria for like some of these higher like the traditional criteria but like are such emblematic figures of pop music Mm -hmm. that like they are elevated by that so I really see them similarly honestly and frankly they happened at similar moments in time too which is really interesting but I think one thing that has become clear in the pantheon is that if you're there at the beginning of something if you're there to like define the early phases of either a musical form or an idea of pop stardom which i think donna has both Mm. as i mentioned so much on the episode like i think so much about like what madonna and janet and all of like the canonical 80s pop stars that like helped us codify pop stardom in the modern sense of the word she was very integral in like providing a jumping off point for all of them and she defined an entire genre and period of music that was like kind of the beginnings of what we think of as pure pop let's say like or how we think about pure pop aesthetics today so i feel good about that i think that there it would be weird to think about donna summer given like what a huge legacy she has as a pop star and how influential she was i mean i think on the year end episode the uh, the year in pop episode with hazel we were talking about like is i feel love like the most influential pop song of all time. I think there's an argument to be made. It's definitely one of them. So yeah, I feel good about that one. 
Yes. Now, K-pop is in many ways its own industry. It feels difficult to benchmark K-pop acts against American success metrics or even the American pop mold itself. But increasingly, we've seen K-pop rise over the past decade in North America and across the globe. Our first mm -hmm. real foray into the K-pop world was our BTS episode, and they were ranked in tier three. I think the answer to this like harkens back to some of our stickier conversations about international versus Western canon, I guess. But like, I think BTS probably is like tier one in the K-pop canon. I think that's pretty inarguable. Mm. They're like the biggest K-pop act of all time by like, I think a pretty significant margin. You know, we designate a part of tier three for artists that are huge in the moment. That's constructed with a lot of thought because it is hard to know in the moment, you know, what all of this will mean. Like things can feel really huge in the moment. Maybe this is relevant to our Kesha conversation yet again. It's like things can feel very, very big when they're happening, but then feel increasingly less big as the power of hindsight takes hold. You yes. know what I'm saying? I don't think we're in a place with BTS right now to really know in the Western music canon what this is all going to mean. But I think them mainstreaming and redefining like the contours of what, at least in a Western sense, what pop music and pop musicians can look, sound, feel, do, talk, languages they can talk in, you know, whatever, where they can come from. They feel seminal in that particular way. So I think that's where they belong for now. And like, that's something that we'll have to like take a look at in 10 years. Are they still together? How do we think about their impact? How much did that matter? You know? Yes. Next up is one of the best episodes, in my opinion, of the year mm -hmm. with a, yes. it, it, this was a fan favorite and it is a return champ of the guest, Rich Jezwiak, George Michael in Tier 2. Also one of my favorite episodes of the podcast ever. I really, really loved making this one. And like, again, an artist that I have like a working knowledge of, but like really hadn't spent like a lot of time thinking about before and just got completely consumed by it and like walked away from the episode with like just a really profound appreciation and love for and both as an artist and as a gay person, like just really left me with a lot and was very moving as an experience for me and rich obviously brought so much to that conversation and was as always just such a fun person to get into all of this with but i think he's right where he belongs to and in thinking about this year's rankings as instructive or precedence and setting again like just these early mtv era pop stars having imperial phases like right at the beginning of this moment just seems more meaningful than a pop star having an imperial phase in 2020 yeah you know like it just it has more meaning somehow because it's so foundational to everything that comes after it. I have a call to play from a big fan of the podcast, a regular on our Discord. This is a ring ring from Britain. It's Martin. Martin. Hi, Louis. It's Martin. So I'm not going to take you up on getting the tier ranking wrong for this one because globally, yeah, you are probably right. However, I do have a slight gripe with the fact that you never even considered the fact that Spice Girls may be a higher tier in a different country than America or the rest of the world. And in fact, in Britain, Spice Girls are tier two guaranteed and I am having absolutely no argument to suggest otherwise. The thing with the Spice Girls is, you touched upon it in the episode, they kind of transcended pop music and basically ranking anything because they were so iconic just in general and that has endured beyond the music 
some of the records, yeah, maybe some of them are a bit ropey. They don't have a massive amount of singles, but every single single the Spice Girls ever released reached number one, apart from Stop, which reached number two, and the one that they released in the Reunion, which we will not talk about ever again. <laughs> so, yeah, when you look at Spice Girls, look at all the iconography that goes along with them. That is stuff that will endure and will live literally forever. And also in the UK context, context of how they arrived, they arrived and kind of broke the mould for... UK at the time was Britpop, it was Oasis, it was Blur. Pop was kind of in the background and it wasn't the dominant force. And the Spice Girls shattered all of that through the sheer force of their personality. And that was something that was not easy to do back in that time. So yeah, I am going to ride for the Spice Girls Tier 2. But I loved the episode. It was fantastic. Love to see you repping UK pop stars. Hopefully there's more. But yeah, I think we should have a little caveat to say globally Spice Girls Tier 2. No, sorry, not globally Spice Girls Tier 2. UK Spice Girls Tier 2 globally Tier 3. Bit like you did with ABBA. So I thought, you know, bit of disservice to Spice Girls there. But thanks very much. Bye. There's a real theme to these calls, huh, Russ? There really is. I do also need to issue a slight correction that might make it worse, but Spice Girls were actually placed in tier three, not two. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. He no, he, I, I believe what Martin was arguing for is that tier three globally, tier two UK is what he wants to say. He wants okay. a distinction for their UK okay. ranking. Got it. Which like I'm open to that idea. Yeah. They seem very, very like iconic in the in a British context in an even greater way than perhaps otherwise. Yeah. Also, all of these calls and this this is an ongoing conversation from the previous year too, right? But they have my head sort of spinning on some interesting things that we could potentially do in the future in terms of content because it is a fascinating part of the pop landscape that there are artists who are really big in Japan. There are UK tried and true stars like Robbie Williams that just don't make a huge impact elsewhere. And maybe there are some fun and interesting ways that we can explore some of those global pop sensations and bring on some folks who can help the American listeners learn more about some stuff that's happening in pop in the rest of the world that could be really interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely agree with you. And I'm willing to take that designation. Yeah. Uh, That seems reasonable to me. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have what we're referring to as omnibus episodes, where we are Mm -hmm. testing out grouping together groups of different artists who are connected in some way. This group is 80s ladies, and it is Belinda Carlisle in five, Debbie Gibson in four, Tiffany in five, and Taylor Dane in four. Before we dive into each of those rankings, let's play a call from across the pond, setting one of these pop stars in a different international context. So I am submitting a voice note and a request for tier disputes. I admit that this one might be a bit niche, uh, but as an American gay who's been living in London for the last eight years, I feel like I've had a different musical education in pop, uh, and maybe my sense of tiers are probably like very much distorted by that. And I also acknowledge that we're dealing with quite a niche group if we're talking about British gays. Uh, But I think you acknowledged it in the Kylie Minogue episode that definitely a tier one in the UK. Uh, You cannot go to a gay bar any night of the week and not hear a Kylie Minogue song here. Uh, But for 2022, 
I think Belinda Carlisle somehow is more famous in this country than she is in the U.S. Um, you know, her most famous song, obviously, being, uh, being Heaven is a Place on Earth. Uh, but Leave a Light On, like, I probably hear that at least once a month, if not every two weeks here in the UK if I'm going out. And the other one, We Want the Same Thing, is played pretty regularly, I would say. So somehow Belinda Carlisle perhaps had more success here. So she seems like she should at least be a tier four. I don't know. Maybe I'm just giving a stretch. She's also quite famous for celebrating her birthday at a gay bar here every year as a charity event. So yeah, something happened with Belinda Carlisle in the UK. I can't explain it, but that would be my one dispute for the Pantheon in 2022. Uh, thanks for all your hard work. I love the podcast. I uh, look forward to new episodes all the time. Take care. Louie, what do you think of the call? Belinda and her relevance to the gays, specifically in the United Kingdom. Did you have any idea that she held such resonance for gay men in the UK? You know, I didn't know that, but I did know it before we heard this call because this is something that's come up a lot. It's another big one that people are pissed about. I got a lot of DMs, emails and stuff about Belinda's UK expanded success that didn't happen here. And I will also add in that I kind of felt weird afterwards about her being in tier five. And I know that Tom did too, because somehow it just didn't feel right to me. So I'm willing to issue another amendment here. And it's not just for the UK, but I kind of think Belinda can edge up to tier four. Let's hit the gavel. I just think that, yeah, she only had a few hits here. She had more hits internationally, but she's a figure that looms larger than the other people that we put in tier five in this episode, including Tiffany. Like, I just don't see her on the same level. She clearly feels like a bigger force in pop than that. So I'm willing to put Belinda in tier four, thinking back on it. So let's do that. I feel good about the other three, though. Mm -hmm. I feel good about Debbie in four. I feel completely good about Tiffany in five. And I feel good about Taylor in four because I think I, I didn't live through Taylor Dane and Debbie Gibson's peak take away from the fact that, like, they have had equal amounts of success to Akesha. Like, I mean, again, it's like the, the Akesha's instructive, I guess, on numerous fronts here. But it's like Debbie Gibson had ex like kind of a very similar career trajectory to Kesha where it's like she had a huge first album, a sort of big second album, and that was it. And same with Taylor Dane. Like, mm -hmm. very, real similar. So now... I did check out what some of these ladies are up to. Tiffany is releasing her 11th studio album. It came out in November. <laughs> Debbie Gibson put out a Christmas album. It's called Winterlicious. And she is my new favorite Instagram obsession. Like, she's really good. She is Valerie Cherish. Completely. Like, I'm not kidding. Yes. Like, uh, she's literally Valerie Cherish. Did you get that from Rich Jeswiak? Because he talks about that all the time. I think he might have even written about it. Yes I'm, yes. I'm sure I did. We, I, Me and him literally DM all of her Instagram videos. Like, yeah. They're just, every single one is a gem. She also starred in a movie this year called The Class that has the exact same plot as The Breakfast Club. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> They're weirdly like all friendly too. Like Debbie, Tiffany, yeah. and Taylor like are all over each other's Instagrams all the time. Yeah. The girls support each other from the 80s. All right. We have the 
absolutely wonderful Amy Winehouse in tier three. Again, another one where we had to really use our own discretion. (laughs) But I think I feel right about that. I guess like this flies in the face of everything I've been saying about Kesha. But everything that Ethan argued to us about Kesha, I think applies to Amy like tenfold. Mm -hmm. I mean, Amy, like you could make an Amy Winehouse song. You could, her look is so iconic. And I think the fact that she's so critically beloved and I wonder again, as we talked about on the episode about like what the death meant to her legacy, I feel that she's in the right place. I think she's in the right place as well. I also think that Amy means similar things to all ages of people, mm-hmm. which really solidifies your place as an, an icon, right? And like if we're talking about like one album that was like so huge and seismic, I think back to Black Dwarf's Animal Oof. in terms of its like pl- you know place and culture, like no question about it. Incredible. And yes. then our end of the year pop spectacular, a two-part episode. Katy Perry has officially been ranked in the pop pantheon. End of an era of Katy Perry jokes, Louis. <laughs> Is it? Will the era ever end? <laughs> Emblematic of tier three. I mean, I've been saying it since like literally episode one of the show. So yes. Yes. Katy Perry, tier three. Absolutely no question. No question, no question, no question. Dan didn't even fight me one ounce on that. All right, so let's bring this in for a landing. We've got one official change in Kesha from three to four. We have Spice Girls getting a special designation of tier two in the UK, even though they're still tier three everywhere else. We moved Belinda Carlisle from five to four. And now we got to figure out the ABBA thing I promised we'd come back to. I have to say, I'm really confused. I'm not feeling clarity. I was hoping that if I let this simmer for an hour, maybe I would come up with a good answer. Cuspy? Cuspy. Cuspy and oddly evolving. 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 Yeah. Maybe when we come back to this at the end of 2023, we can put that on the docket and see where we're at. I thought that we could end off this episode looking forward to the year to come in pop music for 2023. Mm -hmm. Louis, do Mm -hmm. you have any pop music wishes for the year ahead? If you could make one thing happen, in the world of pop, what would it be? The visuals. <laughs> <laughs> and new Rihanna music. Okay. That's good. The good new Rihanna music. The good new Rihanna music. And that her Super Bowl is a cunt slay the house down, boots on a yes mama queen. <laughs> Fantastic. Whatever. All right. Yeah. And how about yourself? I would like to see the full ascent of Kim Petras as a <laughs> pop star in a more mainstream sense. And mm-hmm. I would like for Flo to bring back the girl group. Great. I love both of those. Okay. Let's hope. We can only pray. This was so much fun. Thank you for revisiting all of these. And thank you to all of the listeners who sent in brave, brave voicemails for us to play on the show, challenging our host on the rankings of these pop stars. We appreciate it so much. And once again, thanks to everyone for listening, for Mm -hmm. rating and reviewing, for sending your favorite episodes to people in your life. All of those things that 
we have asked you to do, you have done, and mm-hmm. to all of our patrons, thank you for joining. It's just like- Thank you to yeah. the patrons. I echo everything you said times 10 million, and I just once again want to thank you for all of your incredible hard work and like everything that you do to make this happen every week, and also as my emotional support <laughs> system. <laughs> I really, I mean it though, like you really are amazing, and I'm so glad that we connected and get to do this together. Russ, pick a song for us to go out on. Oh my goodness, from all of- Pick a song, pick your favorite song by an artist we ranked this year to the podcast go out on. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. That's so tough, Louie. Yeah, well, surprise. Life do you know hard. what? Let's do Scissor Sisters, Take Your Mama Out. All right, that's a celebratory way for us to go out. Before I play that, let me just remind you that when this episode ends, we're going to be playing a clip from our new Patreon episode about the Velvet Rope with Rich Joswiak that just came out a couple of days ago. If you enjoy that clip, it's going to play right after the Scissor Sister song. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash poppantheon or by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode to join Pop Pantheon All Access for bonus episodes and so much more. Russ, mwah. Mwah. Here's a clip from our Patreon episode about the Velvet Rope with Rich Does React, which you can access at patreon.com slash poppantheon. The album's biggest hit, Together Again, is kind of its biggest outlier. That song, Absolutely. what I think ties Together Again in is the sadness behind it, but also right. the happiness. That's a fully processed, that is about as an emotionally mature pop song as you can get, that I'm going to transform this sadness into joy and extract the goodness from this horrible situation of so many of my friends dying of AIDS. Again, it's like Janet's not going to hit you over the head with the intelligence or the thought behind that. And that, I think, works both to her benefit and debit because, you know, you talked about her albums being full, you know, statements, the sequencing matters, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's true. But they're also collections of singles. So Janet speaks kind of on many levels. And if you want to just get her on the, she's making pop music, she's making very digestible pop music, you can get that, but you can also go deep with Janet and she's there for the kind of taking. Together again is, the way you characterize it is so true. And I think one of the reasons it's like such a standout pop record in general, forget just in Janet's career, the way that she's able to convey joy through sadness without making that feel like ponderous is yeah. so incredibly I hate I keep coming back to this word but elegant because it's a word that I feel like characterizes Janet's on record persona and I think it speaks to something that sort of permeates this album which is like this idea that like it's her most introspective album to date but it's also her chillest which I yeah. think is like kind of a strange but very intoxicating combination like there's a sensory pleasure to absorbing the sound 
sound of this album, more so than the sort of slamming industrial funk of like Rhythm Nation, this record really feels like wrapping yourself in a warm blanket at the same time as she's like excavating these dark things. And then at the same time, you sort of have the deeper self-interrogative moments of real pain like a what about for instance obviously being i think yeah. the most stark example one of the most like hits you over the head direct like bear it all pop records i think i've ever heard in my life it's a rare moment of a pop star like really exposing something like pretty gnarly to the world about physical abuse i mean that lyric sticks with me so much what about the time you said you didn't fuck her you only she only gave you head i mean that is like such a wallop of a lyric you know what i mean that aside you also have a very sensual album you know what i yeah. mean like especially that first run of songs to the beginning is like some of her most delicate sumptuous like bubble bathiest kind of sex music that she ever made at the same time and that i don't know if that gets underscored as much in the sort of retrospective looks at this record as some sort of deep excavation of her soul right right well but then the last half of the album is basically all baby making music you know it's like a yes, quiet right. storm suite so we get it from both ends also yes <laughs> also like no <laughs> she no that, that pun was intended um <laughs> she keep in mind too that while all of this is happening the singer songwriter is having a major renaissance in 90s right. music lilith fair is happening tori amos yeah. is happening sarah mclaughlin right. yeah you know the fact that joni mitchell is sampled on this album that she had to actually reach out directly to joni joni mitchell is a scorpio and she's mean as a snake i mean this this yeah. is on the record she's mean as a snake but she's incredibly open to being persuaded with praise so i clearly think all of, <laughs> clearly and and i i don't think that Joni ever cleared a sample before and i'm sure she was asked and this time yeah. she was and yeah that's what happened so that influence is obviously like it can't be discounted and so it, it's another way for janet to etch her place in this landscape that isn't necessarily bubblegum but i think it was smart for her to say okay i'm not gonna like compete with trl you know i'm gonna yes, do this other yeah. thing right well i mean in you know just because i've been thinking so much about madonna lately there's a lot of connective tissue here between this and ray of light and yeah. i you know i think we could get into that but i think that it's interesting that they both turn to these raucous ideas of credibility in order to like create signifiers that these records are different from past records like madonna is using elements of grunge and guitar and sort of like you know singing about her daughter or whatever on ray of light and janet is turning to uh music of you know massive critical credibility and Joni Mitchell for a co-sign here yes. as a means of being like this is the company I'm trying to keep on this record you know I think that's a really interesting thing but I think she does it really artfully in a way on Got Till It's Gone that doesn't feel like Craven in that sense like yeah. I love the way that that record brings together Q-Tip Janet and Joni Mitchell a combination you wouldn't necessarily see as like functioning particularly well yes. but they really do such a miraculous job of that you can certainly also hear a lot of the influence on a song like that of a tribe called Quest. I mean, I definitely feel like there's...
If you enjoyed that and want to hear more of that episode and more bonus content, go to patreon.com slash or click the link in the show notes to sign up at the icon tier today.